Good morning, brothers and sisters. I invite you to turn this morning to Genesis chapter 28. This morning, we're going to be considering our devotional, Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, through chapter 30, verse 24. Again, you'll be served well by reading the text beforehand. So please, if you have not already done so, pause this recording, go and read Genesis 28 through 30, and then come back. I pray that God would speak through His Word as you read there in your quiet time. Well, now that you're back, having read Genesis 28 through 30, I want to just spend a few moments just commenting a number of ways on the text. I hope you've seen through there maybe a handful of questions. You're really grieved and concerned as you saw some of the behavior going on among the characters. After all, this is the great Jacob, the, the Israel himself. His behavior is nothing but sordid and quite sinful. We see a number of themes throughout the text. The providence of God, God's sovereign grace, and we've seen a number of promises that God has made to Jacob that we will see unfolded in the years ahead in his life. What's the point of these chapters? It really is a continuation of really the theme we saw last week, that God has written this to the people of Israel, the, the descendants, hundreds of years later from these, this particular scene, these people, these sons that were born to Jacob that would then bear their own children and children upon children. There was a million Israelites, these Israelites who have been freed from slavery, who are on their way on a 40-year journey to the promised land as the great prophet Moses writes down God's inspired, infallible word. He reveals to them their ancestry, where they came from. And as he does so, he does it. He reveals these truths in the book of Genesis, in these particular chapters, to comfort God's people that His sovereign grace will be with them wherever they go. Now, I want you to imagine this morning as you read this, and maybe perhaps you want to reread it with this kind of truth in your mind. Read it first as an Israelite coming out of slavery on a 40-year trek through the wilderness alongside some of these particular people groups we've already addressed, like the, the Moabites and the Edomites and so on. Or perhaps read it as an Israelite in, enslaved in Babylon as they're making that long trek back to Jerusalem as they the law is read by Ezra. These chapters being read by Ezra that day as he stood, as he read all day before the people. Do you not think they might have been encouraged to hear how God sustained their ancestors, the, the great patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob? And then read it as a Christian about how God sustains us Friends, if you're a Christian this morning, this is your story just as much as it is a, an Israelite story. For you and I have been engrafted into the family of God. These are as much our stories as they were theirs. With that in mind, let us sort of consider words of encouragement, encouraging us to trust God's sovereign grace to save sinners without human merit. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing you can do to earn God's love or His grace. 
I hope that is evidently clear as you think and are perhaps grieved to read some of the behavior by the characters in our story, real characters, real people who lived a really messed up life, but yet whom God saved by His sovereign grace. Well, our text this morning can be really divided into three scenes. Again, as we're reading a narrative passage, the author of of Genesis, Moses, uh, often crafted these in scenes, like a play. Uh, There's different acts, different scenes. And in our text this morning, there are really three scenes. Now, to be clear, this story, these stories, are are part of a larger story that are bookended by a, a meeting between Jacob and God. The first meeting comes here in chapter 28, in verse 10 through 22. In this first scene, Jacob meets the Lord as he is leaving the land of Canaan and on his way back to his his ancestors' land there in Haran. As he makes that trek, he is met with God. And also, when he leaves Haran and makes his trek uh, some 20 plus years later, he again is met by God, met by the Lord. And so here this morning we see in the first scene that the Lord meets Jacob. Now to be clear in the text, Jacob isn't looking for the Lord. Jacob isn't striving. Now what has just happened? If you remember last week, Jacob has stolen his brother Esau's blessing. And out of fear for his own life, his mother convinces his father Isaac to send him back to uh, her family, to, to her, her family there in Haran, to find a wife. So Jacob isn't just on a journey. He is on a flight. He is fleeing from his brother Esau, who is ready to kill him at a moment's notice. And so this is no joyful trek that he has adventured upon. Well, we're told here in verses 10 through 17 that the Lord reveals himself to Jacob in a dream. This will be similar to dreams that will come later in the book of Genesis as God is revealing His purposes to His people. But here, we are told this tremendous story, how Jacob goes to sleep and how God opens up heaven and displays His glory to Jacob. Tremendous grace on the part of the Lord, for Jacob is not worthy to receive such honor, to receive such grace. But nonetheless, God reveals His grace to him. And in doing so, he confirms the Abrahamic covenant upon Jacob. If you look there in verse 13, you see the Lord confirming the promises that he gave to Abraham many years earlier is confirmed. He says that I will give you people and I will give you this land. I will give you offspring as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And I will give you this land. And you shall spread along from the west to the east, to the north and to the south. All of it shall be. And through your family, this family that he's going to have that we're going to read about this morning, through this sordid and dysfunctional and really, really messed up family, God promises that all the families of the earth will be blessed. God promises to secure this in and of himself. And I want you to see the promise that God gives him there in verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. 
for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now imagine as an Israelite, you're, you're in the middle of the wilderness and you hear this, this tremendous promise given to your, your forefather. That I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go. And I will not leave you until I'm done with you. This is a God who by grace sustains his people. We're told that as he dreamed that he saw a ladder. And upon this ladder were angels of God who were ascending and descending on it. It was the, as Jacob will see, the gate of heaven. Jacob thought he was alone, but God was with him. God had never left him. Though he perhaps thought that he had left God, God was there. Jacob responds in worship as he builds there a pillar to honor God. And he says, I'll give you everything. I will be with you. So he gives a tithe to him, if you will, an offering to the Lord. And all of this, Jacob is not quite yet fully trusting the Lord. He still has to grow some, as we'll, we'll see. Friend, this morning, as you think about this text, I wonder how have you been tempted to doubt the Lord's promises to you? The Lord promises that He will not leave us, but will be with us wherever we go. How does this truth comfort you today? To know that Jesus, before He ascends to heaven, says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm sure in the last few months you have been tempted to doubt God's presence in your life. Jesus Himself tells Nicodemus that that He is the stairway to heaven. As we see in John's Gospel, in John chapter 1, so if you have your Bible there, uh, you could open to John chapter 1. Just going to point out one quick text uh, there in John 1. So if you turn over there, uh, point out really quickly one particular point here. In John chapter 1, as Jesus calls His disciples, there's one particular disciple, uh, rather, uh, he calls him, chapter 1, Nathaniel. I think I said Nicodemus earlier. Nathaniel. Nathaniel answered him in verse 49 of John chapter 1. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to Nathaniel, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, there's no longer a house of God. There's no longer a temple where we worship. No, the church isn't even in the house of God. No, rather, Jesus Christ is God with us. This is His name, Emmanuel, God with us. And, and He tells Nathaniel here that He is the gateway to heaven. As He'll say later in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is a tremendous comfort to know this morning that the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. That wherever we go, God is with us. As Isaac Watts famously wrote, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe, and grace will lead us home. See, it was, the, it was the grace of God 
not the merit of Jacob. And it's not so for us. It is not our merit that earns God's favor or grace, but His grace alone. As we continue to the second scene in the text, we see, beginning in, verse, in chapter 29, in verse 1, Jacob arise in Haran. Now, we don't have time to spend much with this. I hope you've read it, understand the story. It seems to be very uh, straightforward. Uh, Jacob essentially gets tricked. Oh, Uncle Laban is up to his trickery again. As he attempted to trick his father, Isaac, so Jacob is tricked by his uncle. We're told that Jacob will work seven years for the younger daughter, Rachel. And on their wedding night, Laban switches the daughters and brings Leah in. We're told that Leah was less attractive than Rachel and that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Setting up will be years of turmoil and fighting. Well, Jacob does his work and works for Rachel for seven years, and then his scheming uncle tricks him. In really a quite uh, ironic way, the older is married rather than the younger. Jacob, the great trickster, the one who tricked his father into receiving the blessing, Jacob the younger is himself tricked in receiving the older. He becomes the victim of, a, of his trickster uncle. It's a wonder where his mother, Rebecca, learned how to pull off such elaborate ruses. Well, Jacob concedes to take Leah to be his wife and then works an additional seven years to receive Rebecca. Sister wives, what could go wrong? How bad could this really turn out? It must have been happily ever after, only in their dreams. Things will go from bad to worse. And really we're told in verse 30 what will happen. So Jacob went to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. What we'll see in the next scene is really quite disaster. And the question here in this text is really for us to understand God's providence in this whole matter, as God is working out His purposes and His plan, even through this sordid tale. We're meant to be reminded of God's providence. It's meant to comfort us, to encourage us, that God is in control. Even when things look like they're a mess, even when things look as if they're awry and going wrong, even when life takes turns and twists in which we had not hoped, nor did we want for ourselves, our children, our family. If you think about this particular story in light of the larger story of Genesis, in particular Jacob's youngest son, Joseph, and what he says to the brothers that are about to be born here. Genesis 50. Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about the many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. What the brothers will meant for evil, God meant for good. It's a principle here that we see at play. 
what Laban meant for evil, what Laban meant for, for disaster and destruction, God is using for his good to bring about the birth of a nation. Friend, how are you comforted to know that through the unexpected or unwanted turns in life, that God is still providentially in control. He will lead you home. Well, the final scene here this morning we see is the third scene, and beginning in verse 31 of chapter 30. Verses 31 through 24, we see the birth of a nation. And through this dysfunctional family, God brings about the birth of 12 sons. Remember, as you've read this passage, I thought to myself, man, I thought I had some problems. Imagine being part of a family where there's four mothers and one father. The scene is one of chaos and confusion and utter evil. Yet the Lord is still working out His promises through this domestic mess. We're told in the text that there are children that are born, first to Leah, then to Rachel's servant, then to Leah's servant, then, then Leah herself bears two more sons, then finally Rachel herself. And the point you want to see in the text begins right there in verse 31. When the Lord saw that, Rachel, that Leah rather, was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Friends, we are to understand that God is behind all of this. That God is at work in this mess. Well, four sons were born to Leah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. To Rachel's servant, Beliah, she bears two sons, Dan and Naphtali. Leah's servant, Zipha, bears two sons, Gad and Asher. Then later in Verses 14 through 21, Leah bears two more sons, Issachar, Zebulun, and a daughter, Diana, which will set up chapter 34 to come. Finally, God hears the cries of Rachel and her humility and bears a son named Joseph. Later, Rachel will bear Benjamin upon her death. What are we to make of this mess? Well, we see that Rachel, like Sarah before, devises her own plans to have children rather than trusting the Lord. We see also there's tension among the brothers, which will be complemented by tension among the sisters. Uh, These two sister wives are at war, just like we've seen brothers at war like Jacob and Esau, and later the brothers here revealed in this text. One point in verse 14, you might have questioned, what are these manrakes that, that Reuben finds and that Leah uses to, to have an intimate time with Jacob? Many scholars understand these to be a bit of a fertility drug. It really harkens back to Esau selling his birthright for a bull of Jacob's stew. Well, in the midst of this, we see God's tremendous grace. Leah, the one who's despised, friends, is the one chosen by God to bear the the sons of promise. It, It is the sons through Leah that comes Levi, the Levitical priest, Moses and Aaron. 
It's through Judah who will come the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of Israel, David, and the greater king, Jesus. But then it's also through Rachel, the one who will have to learn humility, that is born the son Joseph, who will save Israel from famine and death. Friend, as you think about this sordid family, perhaps you thought that your life had to look pristine in order for God to save you. Perhaps you've been tempted to think, man, if, if my family is a mess, then what will the people of God think of me? If my children are disobedient or, or, or I myself am, am caught in sin, what will the Lord do? And how have you been tempted to think that your sin is too great for the Lord to forgive? Our passage this morning reminds us that the Lord saves by His sovereign grace alone and not by human merit. There is nothing in this text that merits God's good grace. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God, by His grace and mercy, saves us. By grace you have been saved. The family of faith is a family of, of one saved by grace and not by merit. Well, there's much more we could say about this text this morning. But I hope that you've been encouraged to know that God is with us, that He will sustain His people wherever we go. And that by His sovereign grace alone, He saves us without merit. May you turn from your sins today and trust in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that as we've uh, considered this text and so much more that we could have said that we have not said, we pray that we would spend time this week just thinking about this particular passage, thinking about your providence and grace in our lives. Father, we long to gather together, and so, Father, we pray that you would gather your church quickly. And, Lord, we pray that you would come quickly to gather all the saints. For your glory and our good in Christ's name we pray. Amen.